This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. The reality of studying any kind of music is that eventually you're going to get frustrated with your progress. You're going to get frustrated with the way you sound. You're going to get frustrated with how quickly you're progressing. You're going to get frustrated if there's something difficult in that music that you're having a hard time wrapping your head around. And this is especially true for jazz being a, a more complex kind of music with more complex harmony and improvisation just in general being a challenging concept. But we don't want to stay in that place of frustration for too long. We want to be enjoying ourselves and progressing. So on today's show, I have special guest Michael Lake to talk about overcoming musical frustration, and he gives some really practical tips and really powerful things for overcoming those barriers of musical frustration and musical motivation. Let's jump to it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, videos, and a membership, all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Like I said, I've got special guest Michael Lake on the show today. He is a phenomenal musician and educator. He was recently one of our speakers at our Learn Jazz Live Virtual Summit back in February, and he gave an amazing talk on deep listening. And today, he's going to be helping us out with our frustration, our frustration in our musicality, our frustration in our musical progress. How do we overcome that? We all can relate to that feeling of feeling like we're stuck or even feeling a little bit demotivated because of frustration with our progress. And we don't want to stay there for too long. We want to overcome that and break through that. And lucky for us, there's actually some very simple solutions to start working through some of that musical frustration. And Michael really helps us out with that. You can learn more about Michael at musicsavvy.com. That's his website and his blog. He has lots of cool stuff there, lots of courses. So music, and then it's S-A-V-V-Y.com. So go ahead and check him out there. And you're going to enjoy everything he also has going on with Music Savvy. Uh, quickly before we start the show, though, this episode is sponsored by our LGS Inner Circle membership. LGS Inner Circle membership is monthly jazz standard studies and our jazz standards club. It is 101 basics courses to fill in the gaps in musical knowledge. We have a bunch of jazz practice programs and courses. We have monthly live jazz Q&As with me, with our monthly uh, jazz mastermind. And we have a really vibrant community of over 1,000 musicians playing all sorts of instruments, working together, learning together. It's a really fun time. So check it out at ljsinnercircle.com. Sign up, become a member, and we'll look forward to having you. All right, let's get on Michael Lake. All right, welcoming on the show is a phenomenal musician, phenomenal educator, uh, and he's also the most well-known alto trombonist in the entire Milky Way. That's Michael Lake. And Michael, thanks for being back on the podcast. Well, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure, and that's a, a thank you for, for doing that. It, it sounds more impressive than it is, considering I'm probably the only jazz alto trombone player in the galaxy, but I thank you for that uh, that compliment. I mean, pr we, we don't know for sure, right? I mean, there, there could be life on another planet where they have somehow, they've also created an alto trombone, but I think that since we don't know, you will maintain that title. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking today about musical frustration, Michael, and motivation, and kind of more of the psychological aspects of learning to become a better jazz improviser. And as you know, you know, jazz, it's, it's not the easiest kind of music, and any kind of music has its challenges. 
So I want to talk a little bit to you about your thoughts on why do people get frustrated when they're trying to learn jazz and going along this journey? Okay. Well, thank you, first of all, for uh, having me. Pleasure. Big fan of yours. Um, <laughs> I, I well, think it's because this is hard. You know, it, it, it's if if you're a classical musician, and certainly it, it has its challenges about having to be precise with your technique, and and all those things. But you know what ad, what adds to the to the frustration and the difficulty of this is that we're creating the music, we're composing the music right now, and we're basing it on what we hear in our head. We're basing it on what we hear in the rhythm section. And, uh, you know, we're standing up in front of the world and saying, here's my spontaneous composition. And it's hard. It's kind of scary, too, right? It's scary. It's, it's even scarier if you're not sure what you're doing. I mean, it, and, and then when you get scared, you become less skilled at it. And then you become more scared. And it's a, it's a little downward spiral that a lot of people seem to have. I had it early on. I, you know, I remember my, my first my first ever standing up in a big band and trying to play. And I think my, my face was shaking so bad I couldn't get the mouthpiece in my face. So yes, it's, it is scary, but I think, I think the, the frustration and I see this, I, I saw this really recently because I've created a couple of posts in my blog that I was encouraging people to comment to. And it was specifically, what is the difficulty you're having? And I got a lot of response and I saw a lot of frustration there from people that just, they don't, some don't even know where to begin. You know, mm -hmm. they listen to jazz, but when they see chord changes or they hear the rhythm section, mm, what do I play? You know, I kind of hear music in my head, but how do I get that out of my instrument? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of my subscribers and members who do feel that way, you know, there seems like a, a, a lot of information, just a sea of information out there to work through and it can feel overwhelming, which leads to frustration very quickly, which leads to inaction, which leads to you never reaching your musical goals. If you were to speak directly to that particular person who's having that frustration, you know, what would you, what would you tell them? Where would they start or what, what is a healthy way to get started so that they can start making progress if they don't know where to start? Well, I would say there's two things. And one of them is kind of where I focus a lot of my energy and the stuff that I put out there and which I had on Learn Jazz Live and the workshop that I provided you, which is yeah. what I call deep listening. You know, what, how do you get the music that's inside your head, you know, that you hear when you're driving and you're kind of, you know, imagining music or you're taking a shower and you're imagining music or maybe even singing? How do you get that projected out of your instrument? Because that, that is a, a core skill that I think jazz players must have. That's one part of it. And what I've realized more recently is that I think I, I've made, I, I've, I've not emphasized the other side enough. And the other side is how much facility do you have on your instrument? Are you practicing your scales? Are you practicing your patterns? Are you practicing intervals? Are you, you know, how, how much technical facility do you have? Because that is necessary in order to get the music outside out of your instrument. I mean, you might be a savant and be able to pick up the guitar and without knowing any technical information or what a C7 is or what a half diminished is, you might be able to just listen and just play really cool melodies with it. But I think that's the vast minority of people. Mm -hmm. Certainly it's me. I mean, if I didn't practice my scales and I didn't get my technique on the trombone together, I'd be, I, I you know, it would be a lamp in my bedroom. <laughs> right. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. There's these technical barriers coming up. There's this ability to connect your ear to your instrument, that deep listening stuff, which, by the way, was a, a really awesome workshop you gave for our virtual summit last month. Um, and there's all these these barriers in place. You know, a thought that comes to my head, I'm wondering what your thought about this is, you know, it, w one thing that makes me, f that I find with even myself, but definitely my students is that there's this, there's this moment where they're learning stuff and they're feeling encouraged for a second. 
You know, like may- maybe they, they didn't know where to start, but they got that one thing from that teacher, that podcast episode or, you know, Michael Lake's blog, and they started doing that. But then as soon as that was over, they lost they, they lost that drive, that motivation because there wasn't there wasn't I guess we call this in the marketing world. We call this a quick win. There wasn't a quick win on the other side for them. Is that something that you're that you find as well with that? You know, because. It's almost like when we look at these concepts that you even just talked about in totality, there's a billion things you could even do with those things. So is it more of the the way that a student is to learn to keep that motivation and that frustration at a low level? What, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around that. Well, a quick win is necessary, I think, in any skill we're learning, because if we, you know, you, you have to have a superhuman discipline to be able to go months and months and months working on something consistently to, and not see improvement to continue your endeavor. You got to have some quick wins. And I, I think what I see with people that that may use some of the materials that I put out there for ear training and for getting the music out through their instrument is they do see some quick wins. They do see a shift, but that shift also needs to be fed with the technical facility that I talked about earlier. So I, I think one of the one of the challenges that musicians have is they lack the discipline to be in this for the long term. Mm. You're not going to be a good musician by just reading a book, putting it aside, and then going on with your life as a great jazz musician. It just doesn't work that way. You've chosen to do something that's hard. You've chosen to do something that's going to require you to spend literally the rest of your life developing if you really want to aspire to to some of the things you hear maybe the people on records do or some of your your more your more advanced friends do. It's going to require work. Um, We were talking before we went on. I just put a a short book together on self-discipline for musicians because I think that's a key area. I think a lot of times people say, well, I should be better than I am. I'm working hard. I just don't have it in me. Um, Jazz is not for me. And my advice to them is to say, well, I don't know if you're right. I think I think you need to develop some, some enough discipline to be working on this longer, thinking about how well you practice, how well you learn to learn, how how many resources you look at, whether it's, you know, learn jazz standards or whether it's other people and pick out things that they do well. And I think this is, you've got to be ready for the fact that this is a lifetime endeavor. So it would seem that, you know, part of this developing discipline and all that motivation is a bit of a mindset switch from the short term to the long term. And yeah, what, how would you suggest someone start to make that transition? If there's someone that maybe currently isn't considering music as this really long-term journey, um, how how would you recommend someone begin to shift their their mindset or their perspective around that um to, so that they still feel fulfilled that they're going to reach their goals in a reasonable amount of time well i think number 1 i think you need to know what your goal is so be clear on what you want to do with this music do you do you want to just kind of hang out with your buddies once a week when you have your 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 little practice session with your group just to have fun that's cool but just realize that if that's the if that's really all you want to do and and you don't really want to put a lot of time in between those rehearsals and I and I I am in a group like that with some great guys we're a trombone group we get together we have a rhythm section and we have these six and eight part trombone charts and it's fun and and I know that most of the guys there this is the time they get their instrument out and, and again, I'm not making a value judgment, but you got you to realize that you're not going to play trombone like Conrad Herwig or JJ by getting your trombone out once a week. So I think you first of all have to know, what is it do you want to get out of this music? Now, if you aspire to be a professional jazz player, that's going to have a whole nother requirement on you. So I think the first thing is to be clear on what you want. 
You know, write it down, say it out loud. Clarity is key. And I think that may help you from being frustrated if you're, if you're really clear that all you want to really do is get your instrument out once in a while and have fun with it. And, and the rest of the time you're, you have your life. I think you're, that may cut down on your frustration because you've got realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. You don't have the expectation, well, I'm going to get my instrument out once a week or once every couple of weeks, and yet I'm going to sound like my heroes that I listen to on the albums. You're, that's not going to happen. But if you are serious about, about playing jazz to the ultimate capability that you have, given the time you have and you're willing to put in the time, um, I think it requires you to do a few things. Know how to practice well. Um, it's it's very funny that that you know Richie Byrick and I had this conversation last week. He I've got him to the point where he's now reading the comments on my blog. So I focused. I said, Richie, I want you to read what people are writing about in terms of their frustration and what they're they're stuck on. And and which is funny because when I first met Richie, we become friends. And when I first met him, he's like, he didn't even know what a blog was. He he was a complete Luddite on the computer. And now he's reading comments and commenting on them. And so he 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 we talked the other day and he said, I want to do a video and I want to answer these questions from these people. Because there I, I can see the frustration, I can see the anguish, I can see that they're not where they want to be, I have answers. This is the blog post you mentioned at the beginning of yes. where you ask people what they're struggling with, right? Yeah. Okay. And it's been a couple of posts that, that I've kind of threaded this, this subject to. And I'm going to produce this video. We talked for about an hour and a half. But, you know, one of the things, and you got to realize where he's coming from. You know, Richie, Richie has spent his entire life doing one thing. Right. Learning to play jazz piano well. He can't drive a car. He 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 doesn't know about computers. He you know he he doesn't know a lot of things. But he does one thing, and because he's dedicated his entire life, I mean, he's the extreme example of the of the guy that gets out or gal gets out his instrument or her instrument once a week. And so you got to realize where he's coming from on his perspective. But you know, he's like people. You got to get down and you got to learn this stuff and you got to practice hours every day and you got to you got to get your fingers to the point where you're no longer thinking about it. You're no longer thinking about the scale that you play with G7. You're simply hearing G7 and your fingers are doing the work and what's happening is your mind is imagining an emotion or a thought and that's getting translated without thinking to your instrument. So when people say, you know, I'm uh, the the chord changes are messing me up. I, when I look at the chord changes, all of a sudden I can't play anymore. He's saying, well, that's because you haven't, you haven't developed the technique behind the chord changes. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen with just you listening and hoping for the best. And that's kind of why I said earlier that I've realized that I, I haven't focused enough on that aspect of it. I've been saying, listen to your music. And I think the deep listening is a critical component of mm-hmm. this. But you can't have it without the fundamental work on the instrument. Yeah, I and I think that's so important. And just to go back to what you're saying before, you have to know what your goal is. And I, I like to think of it as a, a musical mountaintop. If you don't know what's on the top of the mountain that you're climbing, you know, it kind kind of can get discouraging. You know, it's do I really want to climb to the top of this mountain? You have to know what's on top. And if you know what's on top, then you know how much effort you need to put forth. Maybe you don't need to put as much effort forth as Richie Richie Bryrak, but if you do want to play jazz at a high level, I think it's absolutely right. You do have to put in all this time to get these mechanics down to feel that reward. Um, and I think I, I agree. I think sometimes I notice that people don't quite understand that and they get excited about learning a scale, for example, over top of a, a, a chord or a chord progression because it feels like in the moment that it's giving them this answer to the problem but musical mastery to me seems like it's such a deeper exploration than that um and that can be frustrating for someone who doesn't have discipline would you agree with that yeah absolutely 
And and listen, you know, everybody everybody has their own needs for putting the time in to developing a skill. Mm-hmm. You know, let's 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 take Richie and practicing eight hours every day for years on one end of the continuum, and Miles, who basically his advice on practicing is just get your instrument out and kiss it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that if all I did was kiss my trombone, I'd kiss it goodbye because I, I, it doesn't work for me. I have to put in the work. Um, I, I live near a mountain up here. You know, it's not Mount Everest, but I climb it for 15 minutes and I practice out into the void. I, I, that's what I need. I need it for my tone. I need it for my air. I need it for my ear. I figured out what works for me. Um, Liebman, for instance, he, he really only went through a short period of time, maybe four years or so, where he put in serious hours every day and then he was done. And, and Brecker, I mean, Michael Brecker just, you know, hit, hit the nail constantly all day long, practicing, 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 because he knew that his, his secret sauce was going to be technique. So he had to have that completely down. Same with, same with train. I mean, Coltrane would practice in the breaks on a gig. He would, he had his saxophone at the dinner table with him, you know? So everybody, everybody's got to figure out what works for them. What are you really trying to accomplish with your music? Are you going to be, you know, Chet Baker, who, you know, he didn't, he didn't put in hours and hours and hours a day for, for years, but he, he knew what he wanted to accomplish, which was playing extremely lyrically basically singing through his trumpet as opposed to Clifford Brown, whose, whose technique was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So you kind of got to know what it is to your point, you get your car out and you just push the gas down and hope for the best. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to get in an accident. So the question is, are you clear on what you're trying to accomplish with this music? And then if you are create some sort of strategy for how you're going to get there one day at a time. And I want to talk about that in a second because I know you wrote this book on discipline and I want to hear a little bit more about that. But a quick personal question that popped in my head as you were talking about this, what motivates you every day to get up onto that mountain and play your horn? Like what's what's that driving force for you? Because everybody has their driving force. I mean, you're you're a very accomplished musician, all those things. So what is it for you that keeps you going at it day after day? Well, part of it is to not suck. <laughs> And, you know, I, I kind of envy you as a guitar player because, Oof. you know, I, I think I think you could go a couple of days without practicing your guitar and you don't you didn't you don't lose your tone production. Yeah. You don't lose your articulation. But as a brass player, we do. Right. You know, I, I, I when I talk to, to Randy Brecker during the pandemic, he's practicing every day, hours. Because that, he needs that. He knows that if he stops practicing his trumpet for a day, he'll notice it. And as he says, if, it, if I stop for three days, other people will notice it. So I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage as a brass player because right. I have to keep my chops up in order to articulate, in order to play the scales we just talked about. But the other part of it is, you know, I've spent my whole life playing trombone as well as I can. And I'm not prepared to lose that before nature takes it away from me. So I'm what motivates me to get out on my bike and, and go up and down the hills in, in Northern Phoenix. Well, because I want to keep my health together. I want to keep my lungs together. I want to keep my mind sharp. Um, Climbing up the mountain serves two purposes. It gets my body uh, exercised. It gets me energized. It gets my air going because I'm huffing and puffing by the time I get up there and I'm able to, to make the most of the time. Um, so I probably practice between an hour, an hour and a half every day. Some days I may miss it if life gets in the way. But to answer your question, my motivation is I, I, I want to play to my capability, my full capability. I'm also a guy that's kind of out there like you are. And if I'm demonstrating playing trombone and I'm trying to, to convince somebody that I have solutions, I have to be able to back it up with my playing. And I just, like I said, I've invested 
40 plus years of playing trombone and I'm not prepared to give it up because I've got a, a, a ton of equity in the, the thousands, the tens of thousands of hours I've put into it. And I think the underlying thing that you're saying is you love it. <laughs> you know, you have a passion for it. I do. And, and, and I do not have anywhere near the amount of discipline to do it if I didn't love it. You know, in, in, in the book that I just wrote on self-discipline, I started one of the chapters talking about Andre Agassi. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he famously hated tennis. I did he not know that. It. it was a drudgery for him. I mean, really to the point where it's shocking to hear him talk about how much he disliked tennis. But yet he became number one in the world at it. Now, I wouldn't wish that on anybody because imagine what it must be like to hate what you're doing, but be driven by forces outside of you. Are you, are you to saying be the that, best at it in the world? Are you saying that Andre Agassi, even in like the prime of his career, still didn't like tennis? He was just doing it because he was good at it or in the money and all that? Or what was he? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. I don't know exactly the timeline between when he became number one in the world and and this period of time where he was just loathing the time he put into it. Gotcha. But but it's 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 pretty. I mean, he wrote a biography. He's written he, lately. He's been very not lately, but in the last ten years or more, he's been very outspoken about his relationship with tennis. But you know, <laughs> I think you have to have a passion for this thing we're talking about in order to be good. I don't know how you could not like playing jazz, but yet be really good at it. But he's an extreme <laughs> example of where I, he mustered up the self-discipline to do something superhuman. Yeah, that is, that is very fascinating. I I agree with you because uh, a, a lot of that frustrate, I, I have some friends that are, I mean, I was very obsessed with jazz uh, much more than I am now where, you know, practicing eight hours a day, the whole 10 out, like, you know, just stupid hours and, you know, thought my whole life revolved around it. I don't anymore, <laughs> but you know, I, I have friends that are still there. They're just, they're still there. And that's just like, you know, nothing will ever change that for them. You know what I mean? That's how, that's how in it they are. Like they, they'll, they'll practice every day for four hours and they don't care, right? That that's 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 just that's a driving force. Then you have a whole different set of folks, folks that I'm thinking in my community who want to learn jazz for a very specific purpose. Maybe it's because they're a classical musician and they just want to know what it feels like to improvise because that seems so foreign to them. And the discipline when you're not as passionate about jazz is obviously going to make a difference, you know, with how much in it or how frustrated you do or don't get. Cause like you said, it's a long-term game where I'm just trying to find the marriage between being passionate enough about it to put in the gobs of effort it takes to become a good musician and the effort it will take you to reach a smaller goal, perhaps, right? You're a rock guitar player, maybe. You just want to learn how to play music theory better. Jazz, people tell you jazz is the way to go. Any thoughts around that? I think it goes back to knowing what you want. Yeah. And I think part of the frustration people have is there's a disconnect. They want to play at this level, but they only really have the drive to put in this much time. And I think that that distance between those two things is part of what causes frustration because I know people, I have friends that play, that play an instrument and they're not world-class and they're okay. They, they enjoy it. They enjoy getting it out. They, they love, you know, going back to my trombone group. I know these are guys that, that really love to get together and have the social part of it and have the musical part of it and feel like they're a member of something. They, they love that. I don't think I, I think if you talk to them, they're not really frustrated with where they are with playing because they've accepted that this is this is this is the the reward I get for the effort I put into it. And again, I think the you know, we, we started with talking about frustration. My guess is if people are frustrated with how they play jazz, I would say. Be dead honest with yourself 
and describe what you would like to do with this music. What are your aspirations for it? And, and there's no wrong answer. And then on the other side of the sheet of paper, describe what you do right now with your instrument. How much do you practice? How much do you look at methods? How many books do you buy? How much jazz do you listen to? You know, what is, what is the effort you're putting into this? And, and is there a gap there? And if there is, then figure out how to eliminate that gap. So accept where you play jazz or step up the effort you're putting into it. And I, and I don't want to come off like, like I'm a little bit afraid that Richie's talk came out with was like, you're not worthy if you're not putting in incredible, you know, superhuman hours. I, that's not where I'm going with this at all. I honor anybody who gets an instrument out and does anything with it. Yeah. But what we're talking about is people who are frustrated with where they're at. And I think there's a disconnect between what they're doing and what they aspire to. Yes, absolutely. Miles, you know, I, I'm sure that if you talk to Miles midway through his, his career, and, and I don't think he would say that I wish I could play like Clifford. I, I don't think he did. I think, I think he played exactly the way he wanted to play, which, is part, which was his genius. What he heard in his head was what came out of the instrument, and he had the technique to do it. Now, Liebman talks about being on stage with him, and Miles didn't practice. So maybe there was a, there was a period of time, maybe a few weeks before, between gigs or, or rehearsals. And they'd be on stage and Miles would get out his horn and he'd, you know, buzz it a little bit and he'd play. And you could clearly tell that he wasn't, he wasn't up to his normal technical standards. It, you know, he was out of shape and, and he would kind of look at leave and go <laughs> like, you, you know, you get it. I'm not there yet, but by the, by the third or fourth tune, he was back being Miles. And he was cool with that. It wasn't like he beat himself up, I don't think, after the gig and said, oh, man, I got to work on my scales more. I got I to gotta do lip slurs more, right? He was perfectly cool with where he was at from a, a technical and musical standpoint. Like, obviously musical, but I'm talking about the technical part of it where, you know, he was cool. He didn't, he chose not to be practicing, you know, Arbens between his gigs. And he accepted what would happen when he got his horn out after a week or two of not playing and, and in front of the world. And, you know, it is what it is, man. I think acceptance is a, is a word that, that, that resonates with me a lot in my own musical journey. I'm thinking about a couple different aspects of acceptance like one i'm remembering very distinctly uh one of my old teachers i think this was back when i was in high school bruce foreman he's a great guitar player from los angeles he uh noticed that i was always very frustrated <laughs> frustrated um and i was obsessed with jazz i love jazz man i was crazy about it uh and the problem for me was i was upset I I listened to so much jazz. I knew what I, I what I wanted to sound like. You know what I mean? Like I, but my 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 technical knowledge wasn't there. My ears weren't there. That sort of a thing. So I was just constantly frustrated. And I remember Bruce said to me, uh, he's like, you know, Brent, just play from where you're at, not where you want to be. He didn't mean to say you shouldn't try to play better. <laughs> he was just trying to say you should just accept the skill level that you're at right now. And enjoy it a little bit. Um, that 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 was one level of acceptance for me. Took a long time to get there, by the way. But anyways, eventually, uh, the other level of acceptance, I feel like, was kind of what you're talking about. Miles comparing himself to Cannonball. I don't think that happened because, uh, you know, I, I remember I used to play gigs and stuff like that. Where, you know, I'm I'm more of a how would you describe my guitar playing? More of a uh, you know, not necessarily a chopsy guitar player, more melody-driven guitar player. Um, Jim Holly, maybe? I don't know. I don't sound like Jim Hall, but I mean, just in that realm. Um, and then, you know, I'd, I'd be playing with these awesome hard bop saxophone players, just, you know, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. And I, I remember sometimes feeling to myself, man, I, man, I wish I could play like that, you know? Um, and, and that just checked, cheated me of so much joy of the music and added to my to frustration you know what i mean and it took a long yeah. time for me to eventually 
just be like, hey, this is actually how I sound. And I like playing this way. It's what makes me feel comfortable and good. I feel like that's another level of acceptance that I kind of went through that reduced my frustration of wanting to even become a better musician, right? Um, Because I think sometimes too, when you're practicing because you're frustrated, like you're frustrated, you want to be better than you are now. The way you're practicing is totally off. Your emotions are completely off. You're feeling bad when you're practicing, which means you're creating a bad relationship psychologically with music. And I don't know that that's helpful, especially since at least most of the people listening to this podcast mostly do this for fun. So I know any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think it's an interesting concept because I think there has to be a certain level of irritation. It's kind of like how a pearl grows. It starts from a grain of sand that's irritating the inside of the oyster, right? And I think that irritation is a motivation for musicians. I mean, I think if you don't have a certain yearning to be better than you are, you're probably not going to have the impetus to do what needs to be done. So I think, you know, there's a, there's, there's levels of this. If you're really down on yourself because you're not playing the way your heroes play or you're not playing the way you think you should play, that's a problem. But I think if you've got an itch that's constantly there, that you work your best at, at scratching and you hear improvement from time to time and you're putting in the time and you're learning how to learn and you're looking at different resources. And again, you're listening to a lot of jazz. I think that's the healthy um, irritation. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you and I are similar in that regard when you describe your guitar playing, because I think a part of, part of this is again, that roadmap. It's not, it, it, it's where, where do you want to go with this music? But how do you sound? How do you want to sound? You know, if you, if you want to sound like Clifford Brown, then you best get at it. <laughs> That's true. But if you, if you, if in, if your private moments, you hear music in a different way, it's not as complex, it's not as fast, it's more contemplative, then I think there's a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay not to sound like Clifford Brown. It's okay not to sound like Michael Brecker. It's okay not to sound like John Schofield, right? And, and I think this is what, what Lieb and I focused on in, in the book we put out last year called The Art of Skill, in that who, do you, who are you musically? Do you know? You know, are you a slave to people telling you how you should sound or a slave mm. to how you think you should sound? Because Michael Brecker sounds like that. I need to have that technique. Well, do you? Is it, is it wrong for you to have a completely different style? Should Chet Baker have sounded like Clifford? I don't think so. Should Paul Desmond have sounded like Michael Brecker? I don't think so. Should Miles have strived to sound like Randy Brecker? No. And, and, and so you and I are kind of, simpatico in that regard because i don't play like conrad herwig i don't play like bob mcchesney with the doodle tonguing and it's not in me i don't hear that what what i'm very clear on what my musical voice is which is more of finesse of articulation and longer tones and in, in, and getting inside the melody and, and making a, a, a statement rather than a flurry of notes. And I'm not discounting a flurry of notes because I think it's phenomenal how Bob McChesney plays or Bill Watrous played. I yeah. think it, you know, it's, it's phenomenal, but it's not me. And I don't, I never felt the drive to develop that kind of technique in order just to sound like that. I didn't want, I wanted to sound like me. And I guess, you know, part, we, t- we joked about the alto trombone, but I think that's part of it too, because nobody played alto trombone, but I heard that as my voice. There was something about that that made more sense for me than it did for, than tenor trombone did. And I, I think we all, whether it's not necessarily switching instruments, but it's, it's finding how you want to sound. And I think that is just such a primary topic. Uh, on our next on our next podcast we'll we'll spend the whole time talking about that because because i think you know that's another source of frustration is people have a certain personality to their musical self but yet maybe they're driven to sound like somebody else because they think that's how again air quotes they should Mm -hmm. sound Mm -hmm. 
And I, I, I feel bad for people who, who aren't at peace with the music that's inside them. And that, that drives me to, you know, the kind of primary stuff that I talk about is what is the music inside you? Get it out, get it out, get it out. Amplify it through your instrument. Connect your instrument to that musical mind so it's there and not worrying about the quantity of notes or the complexity of the harmony or all the stuff you think you should be concentrating on. And so I think that's a source of frustration. I mean, I, I would suggest people write us and say, I agree with you. I, I experienced that type of frustration. I, I, maybe I write a blog post on that gap because I think, I think it's real. Yeah, absolutely. We spent a lot of time talking about identifying your goal, your sound, what you're trying to accomplish, like a torpedo, right? It has to have a target for it to hit its target, right? Or else it's just going to go off somewhere else. And you talked a lot about discipline. Now, I, we talked before the call. I, I am not a undisciplined person. I just, I'm one of those people that's fairly self-motivated. That's why I'm self-employed. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, for the, for the person who is not quite as self-disciplined or motivated, and you, you what are some of the things that, that you like to talk about? I mean, you, in your book, for example, that, are helpful outside of the things that we've talked about. Yeah, sure. Well, I don't think you can manufacture motivation. You know, I mean, you can watch Tony Robbins and you can get, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm get excited out to the conference, right? <laughs> what's that? Get out to the conference or uh, what's the Netflix special? You're not my guru or something. I can't remember what it's right, called. Right, right. Well, listen, I, I, I've been to his week-long conferences. Oh, that's I've really been, cool. I've stood on the chairs and sang and danced and hugged. Did you, you know, enjoy I, it? Oh, I loved it. I, I've, I've heard some other people say the same thing. Yeah. I, I loved it. You know, and, and, and it was the first time my wife gave it to me as a gift. And I opened it up and I'm like, really? <laughs> this is, you know, you want to change me, right? This is, this is your gift. But <laughs> I, I, was I was determined to go there. And, and make the most of it. I was not going to sit in the back and keep on sitting in my chair and just wa waiting for the, the, the weekend or the week to end. You're going to embrace the experience. Absolutely. I'm there. F it. I'm going to do it. And so I did. And, and I'll tell you a very interesting experience after that. I mean, it, it, it literally widened my vision of a lot of things. And I remember after the, after the week, I was, I was sitting in the airport and I, I, I noticed that my vision had expanded. I was aware of so much that was going on with the people over there and the people over there. It was a, it was a crazy experience. But in it, so you could say it literally opened my eyes to a lot of things, but it, it was a very motivating experience because what he does is he has you think about yourself. And what is, what is it you really want? Mm -hmm. Because again, you can't mo you can't manufacture motivation. You know, maybe Andre Agassi did. And that's again, I think that's superhuman, but you know, you can't manufacture the motivation to put in the amount of hours you need to put in on the guitar in order to sound like Jim Hall, right? You, you, you've got to want to have that sound. And that want is what is going to be the driver of your motivation. So I think the best advice I can give is be clear on what you want in your music, in your life, where you live, who you, who you, who are your friends. I mean, be clear on what you want. And I think the clearer you are, the, the, the easier will come the motivation. And I think maybe, you know, people can chime in on this. Maybe part of the, the frustration of playing an instrument is that you just don't really enjoy putting in the time. I mean, that's cool. You don't have to like practicing. I remember I was at a, a conference in uh, Jiggs Wiggum. You know that name? Uh, I, I do know the name. Yes. Yeah. He's another trombone player, older school guy. And I remember he started a master class saying, I hate to practice. And I thought to myself, thank God I don't feel that way because I, I, I don't have, again, I don't have the motivation just to get the thing out and warm myself up and take the 15 minutes it takes to even get a note decently out. 
thank God I don't feel that way. But he he somehow became world class and hated to practice. Now, maybe he was lucky that in the older days, there were lots of places to play, lots of jam sessions, lofts to play in. So practicing wasn't putting on a Jamie Aversold album by yourself. Practicing was more getting out with your friends and your, your companions and, and playing. But I think... I think the key to motivation is being clear on what you want. And in the first part of the book, I basically just ask the question. I say, get out a piece of paper and write down what you aspire to in terms of music, in terms of money. How much money do you want to make? Don't be frustrated that you don't, that you are kind of just hovering above broke, but yet don't really know what you want to do or feel like doing what needs to be done. That there's that disconnect again. And that disconnect is not just in your musical aspirations and where you're at. It's about your money. It's about, you know, your companionship, your relationships with people. It's, it's all over the place. And so I think the, the best value I provide is by asking people, what do you really want? Yeah. I mean, really want. And, and it's hard for people because we're so, we're so inundated with how you should be. Here's what a good person is, and here's what you should do, and here's how you should sound, and these are the friends you should have, and this is how you should think politically. And we could go on and on and on about all the shoulds. That's one thing Tony Robbins says. He says, stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Very clever. Yeah, I, I think that's that's all that's just such amazing stuff. I I I always think to myself, and it you know, the way I, this might come out wrong, but I'll, I'll say it anyways and try to, you know, fix it later. The way you do one thing can say something about the way you do other things. You know what I mean? You're talking a lot about knowing what you want and how much effort are you going to put into what you want. And that speaks a lot about what you're doing in the rest of your life, too. Uh, by the way, I'm one of those self-help junkies, too. So uh, <laughs> we can share that as well. Um, so that's actually all I had to say about that. It just, you know. <laughs> oh, I think you're exactly right. I, 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 I think you, you un, I think it's, it's exactly right. I mean, I think you can tell a lot about somebody and how they play. I think you can tell a lot about somebody in where they live, in what their house looks like. Everything is driven by those basic motivations you have about your view of you and your view of the world. Um, so yes, it does all relate to it. Yeah. Well, this has all been good stuff. I mean, some of my biggest takeaways from today's talk is, I mean, the big central theme of today's talk is, are you frustrated with how you're playing jazz? Are you unmotivated? You need to center in to what you're really going after and get deep into understanding why that is. is. Is there any main takeaways that you would add to that, Michael, or is that it? Do we just, yeah, I would, I would say for people who have a, a sense of frustration in music or other things, what I would say is get out a piece of paper. Don't even write it on the computer because the, the, the act of writing ingrains things, whether we're talking about writing your goals or whatever, I would just say, get clear on what you want. And, and, and when you find yourself kind of writing the way you think you should be answering that, stop, take a walk, come back. No one's going to see it but you if you choose that. But I think you just need to be clear on what you, what you want. And I think the clarity will remove some of the frustration and motivate the actions you need to take so that you're aligned. Love that. Michael, I want to close off the talk today by just giving you the opportunity to tell us what you're doing, any cool projects that are coming out, anything that you think that you have that would just help out the audience listening today. Yeah, I'm always working on a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I'm, uh, I talked about the, the video from Richie. I'm going to put that out there, and I think that'll be very interesting for people. Um, I'm finishing up the class, the course on money mindset. And this goes to a lot of the stuff we're talking about, about simply, it's not about, you know, how to go earn money online, the mechanics of it. It's more like, 
Are you frustrated with your income? And is it because you have some deep rooted beliefs about money that you may have inherited from your family? You know, you saw your parents fighting over money and you've, you've realized that money's hard or, you know, all those things that are in the back of your subconscious that really are driving your current money state, but you don't even know it. So I'm coming out with that. Um, uh, and I would say for people that want to see the stuff that, that is produced right now, go to musicsavvy.com, mm -hmm. go to books and courses, and you'll see my course on improvisation, mm -hmm. which is largely ear driven, but I do talk about theory and I talk about how to practice and I do talk about discipline and all kind of the stuff we're talking about because it really does relate. Everything in some way relates to everything else we're talking about. Whether we're talking about money or your improvisation or your interpersonal relationships, I think everything you and I talk about today relates to all of that stuff. And it all relates back on the other stuff as well. To your point, the way we are in one part of our life is very similar to how we are in other parts of our lives. Yes. So I would say check out musicsavvy.com. Thank you for letting me do that. And uh, if you want to sign up, there's plenty of places on my site to sign up. And I'm a prolific emailer about stuff. I just sent out a free chapter on my book. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can grab from that site. So uh, look forward to starting a, a journey with you. Well, thank you, Michael. This has been really great. Musicsavvy.com to check out more about what he's got going on over there. Always appreciate our conversations, whether it's our the previous episode we've done before, whether it is uh, Learn Jazz Live. It was great having you as a speaker. Uh, just a great musical mind. So thanks for being on, and uh, we'll look forward to having you sometime in the future. Well, and thank you for your fantastic work. All right, that's all for today's show. I want to thank Michael Lake again for being on and giving away so much of his valuable knowledge. Thank you, Michael Lake. MusicSavvy.com is his website. Like I said at the beginning of the show, this uh, episode is sponsored by the LGS Inner Circle membership. If you want to check out the membership, uh, see what's going on, see what's got over a thousand like-minded musicians uh, excited and practicing and growing together, uh, check it out, LGSInnerCircle.com. All right, we're going to come out with another great episode next week. Stay tuned. Until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.